1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 175 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June twenty-seventh, two 2011. we got a great show for you this week on the podcast, the first podcast of the summer of 2011. Looking forward to counting down to the game uh, 68 days, I believe, until Minnesota visits the Coliseum. In September, on September 3rd. If you have any questions or comments for us on the podcast, always drop us an email. It's podcast at usafootball.com. That's our email address. Or you can call if you want to leave us a voicemail, 206 888 6755. Call it up, leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the air and answer your question. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans and USC recruiting. We have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment talking all about USC. What's going on, Coach? How are you?
2: Well, Ryan, we're in the summer, as you mentioned. It. It's a beautiful time of the year. I'm trying to enjoy it a little bit, getting my workouts in, starting to, well, look forward to the publications that are coming out under uh, this coming college football season. I haven't been able to find any yet, but I'm going to try to look at some uh, bookstores, and I'm looking for Phil Steele. I'm looking for Lindy. I'm looking for all these things that uh, I like to read during the summer while I'm sitting on the beach or sitting somewhere having a cup of coffee or whatever and catching up to what other people think about this coming football season.
1: You know, a lot of people I talk to definitely look forward to those magazines. And it's funny, it's, it's interesting, and I'm glad that those have survived. You know, because it's been a tradition in college football when those kind of come out in, in the summertime and people get to read them. But obviously with the internet, you know, we do the podcast on the internet, uscfootball.com exclusively on the internet. Um, there's a lot of information, you know, out there instantaneously, but it's still kind of cool to have one of those reference books. When you get something that has that much information packed into it, and some of those guys do a really nice job, it's still fun to kind of have that as a reference, even though there's a lot of stuff you can just get online, and you know, and obviously can be a little bit more up to date. But it is fun to read those magazines.
2: It really is, and you know, this is one thing that you do. You know, people are football hungry; they really are. I mean, I look at your site every day, every single day to find out what Dan or you or someone might be writing about and the new commits and so on, verbal commits and how the summer workouts are going and so on. And I search the other sites, too, because I like to find out what's happening and what people are thinking. But uh, people are starving right now for college football. And without uh, websites like yours, uscfootball.com and so on, there, there isn't any coverage. In fact, when I listen to sports talk radio... I basically now, and I hope I don't offend anyone when I say this, but I sometimes turn it off, because they're talking about the same thing over and over and over, and it's time people are getting hungry for new things, like the coming of college football and what's going on, because college football is awesome. Look at the attendance. Look at what's happening as far as with the BCS and the championships and the bowl games and The Rose Bowl now being refurbished, which is absolutely fantastic. I was down there uh, two weeks ago and took a look at that with the new scoreboards and advertising boards and the widening of the tunnels and the new press box. And and, and all of this is taking three years to do because obviously they have to stop during the football season because that's UCLA's home stadium. But people are starving for football and college football. and, And I'll tell you, this is why USC football and other sites like this are really keeping the football fan abreast of what's going on. Because, see, colleges can't talk about who their verbal commits are. Without you around, no one's talking about it. No one's letting people know what's happening in recruiting or the summer workouts. But you are. You have people there every day or every morning watching these players work out and interviewing them and so on. Hey, this is absolutely fantastic.
1: I mean, it is fun coach. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show before the reason we started the podcast is because it's hard to get, you, you don't hear about college football, especially, you know, USC or UCLA, big programs in this city. You don't hear it. You only hear Lakers or Dodgers or whatever's going on. I mean, they'd rather talk about, could the Lakers sign this free agent in 2012 than the upcoming college football season. It's just the way, you know, it's more of a pro town than a college town. And I didn't know, even know what a podcast was. I'm like, well, let's do this on our own. And, uh, uh, you know i I got in contact with you, and you were nice enough to come on with me. We've been doing it in the hundred and seventy fifth episode coach so three years or so of of doing these shows. It's been a lot of fun, but yeah, the main reason is it is hard to get you know people are passionate about college football, and if we were in uh Lincoln, Nebraska or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you would hear about college football year round in l a not so much, so we kind of have to take it out on our own and do it this way and you know it's been good we've we've got got a lot of good responses from the podcast and People come up to us and see us and say they listen to it all the time. So we, we really appreciate the people listening in, and we felt that there was a need. That's why we had to do this.
2: You're exactly right. And the only time you read in L.A. about college football right now is if it's a negative article. You don't read anything about positive things that are happening in college football. Only if it's someone got in trouble, someone got, someone's uh, transferring. Uh, that's it. Nothing else in the newspapers.
1: No, and that's that's where we try to fill that void, coach. And well, you mentioned something negative, and I, I think that's what we're probably going to start off the show with today. Unfortunately, uh, former USC receiver and special teams player uh, Lonnie White, who worked for the LA Times for I think twenty years, and most recently covered uh, UCLA. He was the UCLA beat writer until about two thousand eight, I believe. Um, came out and uh, it was for a, an online publication called The Daily. I think that's what it, I think believe that's what it was, and. Came out and said that. I mean, it. Unfortunately, the the tweets and everything that started going around at first made it sound like he was paid by USC. He got fourteen thousand dollars in illegal benefits and things like that. And then you you read kind of what it was, and it, it wasn't a booster or or the school coaches or something paying Lonnie to to play. It was that he sold his tickets illegally and then ma- and made a bunch of money that way. Um, and then he he cited some hardships, and I know he's going through a hard some hard times. He's got some some illnesses and stuff like that but it just seemed like a really odd time to to come out with something like that it was just I think a lot of the USC fan bases were a lot of the USC fan bases just kind of scratching their heads like why is this coming out right now
2: you know I said the same thing I know Lonnie White well uh, really well and he's really a tremendous young man and he's a real loyal Trojan in fact he wrote a book uh, on the history of USC and UCLA rivalries and so on and uh, I couldn't figure that either. I couldn't figure that out either. Uh, what, what what's the purpose of this? Why why? What are you what are you coming out with this for? Are you trying to say this has always been going on? I mean, I I couldn't really figure it out. Yeah, but what's the big deal? I mean, heck, was this a surprise to anyone? I mean, uh, you know, USC has already already paid its dues for that. I mean, as far as way back when that happened, is that the only university this has happened at? I think maybe. Most people were surprised that, Lonnie, why would you even bring it up this time? Why does it need to come out? What's the deal with it? I mean, if you want to talk to somebody about it, come and talk to me or give me a phone call. Uh, that's the thing that bothers me the most. You just don't need those things to resurface, especially at this time with all the problems that have recently happened. and. And another negative article, supposedly. And I agree with you. I thought it was going to be much worse. I didn't understand what the article was first about when the, I heard about it. And after reading into it, hey, you know, it's just one, it's a one day article. One day article. And it's over with. I mean, there's nothing that can be done. It's past the statute of limitations. URC has always been, already been punished for this. Uh, so, you know, to me, I look at it and I say, what was, why was that necessary? I mean, was it something Gary Klein had to write? I know Gary's a good friend of mine. Did he have to write that? Probably the editors made him write it. Why? Because that's a scoop for them, and they need to get scoops. And if Gary doesn't write it, he gets his butt fired. Yet Gary has to cover uh, the Trojans every game, every day, and so on. So it puts him in a very difficult position. So don't hold it against Gary Klein if you're a real Trojan fan out there, because... He doesn't write these type of things. He's probably told to write these type of things. Uh, He gets himself in trouble. So it's just timing. It's just why is it necessary? It's a one-day article, and it's gone. So for all of you out there that are bothered about it, tear up the paper, throw it in the ground. The only thing that bothers me, I played at the University of Redlands, and no one wanted my tickets. That just bothers (laughs) the hell out of me. I, I wish I could have got a dollar a ticket. How do you like that?
1: No. <laughs> sorry, coach, you couldn't sell your tickets for that. Huh? It was funny. Well, you know,
2: I don't mean to make a joke of the thing, but what's no. the big deal? Yeah,
1: yeah Dan. I mean,
2: listen,
1: huh? We're not going to have Dan on this week because uh, traveling to to Vegas for our Publishers Conference for rivals. But he he tells me all the time about when he was covering the University of Kentucky back in the day, and they actually gave players offer sheets and. Uh, we I think we talked about this in the war room actually on uh, Friday, but they would give players offer sheets describing how much money they were going to be making, and a lot of it was based on the t- – because they got four season tickets, and you couldn't buy season tickets to, to Kentucky basketball. There wasn't anything available. So you, those tickets that were going to be sold were basically all that the public could get. And so there was a going rate for these tickets, you know, thousands of dollars, and they would they would make so much money every year – selling all of their, their four allotment of tickets. So it was, it was funny how it was just kind of, even though I, I believe it was still illegal back then, it wasn't a practice that was discouraged. I mean, they actually wrote up things and gave it to players, telling them what they could do. So it, obviously not as severe or something like that, but still kind of crazy.
2: I'll tell you what, Ryan, and I don't know if you want me to get into this, but things are going to change. Things are going to change in the NCAA structure. They really are with all the money that the universities are making now and conferences are making, when I see and read that conference commissioners are making a million six, a million seven, conference commissioners, I'm saying, wow, and kids can't even buy a hamburger, or you can't take them out to dinner, or you can't give them a ride across campus in a golf cart, and they're flying on private planes, commissioners, and all of this going on, I say, something's wrong. Something something is really wrong, and I really think there's going to be some changes. The Big Ten talked about it. Jim Delaney talked about it as far as now trying to not... I don't like the term pay student-athletes. I don't like that term. I would like to hear the term loan student-athletes money if necessary to go to college to have extra funds. Like a student gets a loan, and they have to pay these loans back to the university, the same way anybody else has to pay them back. So these kids are not tempted to go out and do things that are necessary to live or survive on. So, in a certain amount of year, you've got to go before a committee and everybody doesn't have to do it. If you're a student athlete that needs additional funds for yourself and so on, go and apply to a committee and that committee looks at it and they say, yes. This kid deserves $100, $200 a month to survive or, or help his mother who's handicapped or whatever. And I think these things are going to try to change. And when you start to look at a conference picking up or each university picking up $21 million more a year for uh, television contracts, why can't some of this be feeded down to the kids? Not by gifts or not by pain? But by loaning to these kids money so that they can survive and have a great college experience, and it will take the, the crime away, if you want to call it the crime, to survive out of amateur sports. I really believe this is going to happen. Might take two or three years, but this is coming, Ryan.
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be some changes. I don't know what. I mean, you know, everyone everyone seems to have all kind of different ideas, but there has to stuff has to change. There just seems to be. We're getting to a boiling point here; that it's just going to, you know, blow over the sides, and something's got to give. We'll we'll see, and we'll see what that ends up being.
2: Let me ask you something, Ryan. Sure. And I think I've given you this uh, before. What if the kids got together, and I hate to even put this idea out there, okay? And before they, let's say it's a Rose Bowl game, okay? The captains have met; with both teams have met, but they go to Disneyland together and everything else. They meet and they say. When the, cat, when the referees come and say, it's time to go out, we say, we're not coming out. The Rose Bowl is full, national television crowd, and the kids say, we're not playing. We'll play only if you sign this prepared statement we have that you will address, at least looking at some of the revenues that come from games like this and so on to the student-athlete. And you list some of the things. And you say, you run this up to the press box. And you have the conference commissioners and college presidents that are sitting up there, and everybody else who's sitting up there, or we're not going coming out. Tommy, mm-hmm. could you? What type of shit? What type of shake would that give the world?
1: It would rattle the college football world to its core. Yeah, I mean, John. Just Calipari, imagine that. Yeah, John Calipari came out this week and said, "He." I mean, we talked about this in the war room a while back, like having these super conferences and seceding from the NCAA and. He's, he thought it would be a great idea where you get, he said, 16 or 18 teams in each conference, four different conferences, and every like, for basketball, everyone's in the tournament. For football, you get to play the nine teams or, or whatever, or like, you know, in your division, and then have a playoff. You know, the, there's a winner of each conference that, in their conference championship game, then there's four teams left. Two of them play each other, and then the two play a champion, and it's like, boom, Then there's no NCAA anymore, and you can give players money. He was talking about uh, actually paying you know a few thousand dollars to players as opposed to loaning and stuff, but there's there's a lot of ideas like that out there, coach. And if I, I don't know if the players can get that uh, organized and do something like that, but if obviously if that happened, it would be absolutely insane.
2: It would be absolutely insane, and I'm not advocating that, okay? Because I have to buy my Rose Bowl tickets, and I <laughs> take my whole family, okay?
1: You don't want to show up and have no game.
2: No, no, and I don't want. I know that I wouldn't get a refund, okay? <laughs> So what I'm saying, though, someone has to address this issue because otherwise every university in the country who plays big-time athletics is going to get in trouble because they have kids that are in this situation that need help. They have to address it. They can't just keep closing their eyes and fly around in leer jets and make a million six at the top. You can't do that. It doesn't make sense. So, what I'm saying, every kid doesn't need it, but the ones that do, they should be assisted with a loan of some type or a grant. Not pay them. I don't like that term, pay them. So, I didn't mean to get into this topic. No, but, that's
1: okay. No problem. It's but, an interesting but it's topic. something
2: that has to be addressed.
1: Well, I agree. Coach.
2: And I'd be happy to chair the committee, Ryan.
1: Uh, maybe they'll pay you a million six. That'd be awesome.
2: Well, they'll fly around in the jet. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, let's get to uh, before we, we got a couple of questions I wanted to get to um west wanted to know he's well here's his west statement i'm starting to suspect that this team may be better than generally expected the d-line linebackers secondary running backs receivers and of course quarterback have talent and experience the one area that's thin is offensive line of course that's the first or second biggest piece of the whole puzzle so as goes your line so goes your team what do you expect as far as offensive line performance particularly as far as the running game goes coach
2: Well, I tell you, you know, everybody keeps telling me how thin the offensive line is at USC. Well, maybe in numbers. But when you go down and you look at them, unless they've evaluated the players wrong, John uh, Martinez was the best center in the country when he came to USC. You look at the offensive line with it. Khalil is the number three round selection pre draft for next year in the NFL draft. Uh, you got Holmes, who's got experience, who they're going to play at center. Heck, uh, you know, you you start to evaluate the players that USC has, and you know, you look at them and you say, hey, they're as good as any offensive lineman probably in in the Pac-10. Now, maybe not as a group with experience and so on. I'll have to give that away. But you got to build them into a unit. They got to be five guys who play together that have the will to win, and you got to help them. If they're not a physical type of group, then you have to keep the defensive fronts off balance by helping them with different types of runs, different types of actions, different types of screens, different types of motions, and so on, that that uh, help slow down the defensive fronts that you're going to play against, because they're going to be great defensive fronts you play against. Yeah, there are people who individually are better in the conference, but not better than Uh, A lot of the players that USC has, USC's got as good of players on their roster as a group as any team in the country. And I don't want to hear people tell me that, oh, oh, they're better than this or that. Who would you change your roster with in the Pac-10? Or Pac-12, excuse me. Would you call up Stanford and say, you send yours down to our campus and we'll send ours up to your campus? Would you do that? No. I know they have Andrew Luck. I still wouldn't do that. Would you send them to Washington? No, I wouldn't. Would you send them to Cal? No, I wouldn't. Would you send them to UCLA? No, I wouldn't. Now Oregon has got themselves to a position that they're they've got great athletes up there, but they run a different type of system. Could they run the SC system? Maybe not as well. No. So I'd keep what I have because we've recruited to this system. So you know, SC yes, offensive line you win the games in the trenches with the defensive line and the offensive line. I agree. But you've got to assist them, too, by running different types of motions and different types of schemes and so on that assist your players by keeping the defensive players off balance. You've got to keep them guessing. You've got to be able to run the football to win. I agree. But you've got to be able to do things to help them run the football. You've got to have series. Not a lot of plays, but the plays you run, you've got to run well. And if those plays uh, start to run well, that opens up your passing game and everything else. So I'm not as much concerned about the offensive line at USC as a lot of people are, because if I was coaching that offensive line, and I'm not, and I was an old offensive line coach, I would pull that group together and I would tell them, a lot of people don't think you're very good. I think you are. And we're going to be better than what anybody thinks, and we're going to be the most valuable unit on the field. All five of us are going to play together, sleep together, travel together, and we're going to block people. We can't make a mistake. Other people can make a mistake on the defensive side of the ball and someone makes a big play for them, and it's okay. We can't make a mistake. So I think this this line will come together. They've got some great young players coming in that will learn quickly and maybe have to play earlier than what a lot of people think they should. Maybe if I could, I'd ventured most of them if I could get away with it because of the numbers in the future. But I'll tell you, there's great skilled people there. they are great players that can play and I'd win with special teams and defense and put my office, offense in a position where they got great field position and make sure that you can utilize the talent you have. Don't run something that you can't perform at 100% and the best. And that would be the way I would attack it.
1: All right, great stuff, Coach, and thanks, West, for that question. Uh, we've got one more. This is from Fast Eddie. He said, I want to tell you. Fast that, Eddie? Fast Eddie? Ed, Fast Eddie. He wanted, Fast
2: Eddie, baby, yeah. <laughs> you play for me if you can run.
1: Nice. Uh, well, he wanted to tell you that uh, he loves the work we do on the podcast for all the USC junkies, and he watches all the the videos that we post on uscfootball.com. He's seeing a lot of Grimble and Telfer and Ellison at tight end, but not much Christian Thomas. And just real quick, uh, Fast Eddie, we, we talked uh, uh, last week at one of the workouts, talked to uh, Red Ellison about that, we're, I have a story coming up pretty soon. But uh, he basically said Christian Thomas has a, a crazy class schedule right now. So there's there's just – he's working really hard in the film room, and we posted that in the war room on Friday. He's in there in the film room as much as anybody, but he's just not able to make those workouts. So don't don't read anything into the fact that you're seeing three of the four tight ends out there. It's not indicative of what – you know, Christian Thomas definitely wants to be out there. It's just class schedule and stuff right now is stopping him. So you'll see him in, in fall camp. Uh, but anyway oh, – yeah. And so he went. He said, "Do you think with the stockpile of young, uh, exciting tight ends, is he getting lost in the mix? Do you think we're going to play more two tight end sets with such ability to find holes in the defense with our speedy wide receivers' ability to spread the field? What do you think, Coach?"
2: Well, I certainly would. I'll tell you what. I'd utilize my tight ends. I don't. I, I've, I've said this, and you know, I don't want to be critical, but I am when I talk like this. I don't think USC utilizes their tight ends. Look at their tight ends; they're going in the NFL, and they're all <laughs> they're all drafted, and they all play. David's all of them. Look at last year's what's his name, Cam? What's his name, the tight end that just got drafted?
1: Jordan Cameron, yeah.
2: Yeah, look, what type of success did he have at USC? And he's being drafted as far as a tight end in the NFL. They're talented players, and I and I really think that they should utilize their tight ends more and more of their schemes, and more of their routes, and more of their drag routes, and more of their corner routes, and more of their deep passing routes, and their curl routes, slide to the open area, to all kinds of different zero or arrow routes straight to the sideline, and so on, with crossing routes, and so on. I I think they're great athletes, and I do believe in the two tight end set. I've always believed in that, because it balances the defense. You can't overload the defense. You make them play uh, sound, equal defense. They can't shift their lines down. They've got to be able to cover your tight ends on both sides. Plus, I'd put the third tight end in the game. As I mentioned before, I'd even play four tight ends on goal line situations. I'd put a tight end at fullback or someone that could knock somebody down and two tight ends with a wing and run off tackle and uh, and run traps up the middle and, and run power type of plays with play-action passes and so on and wide delays. White crosses, and all these types of things in short, short yardage situations. So I've always said that. I believe a tight end is the difference maker in an offensive scheme. If you have a great tight end and you utilize him, it puts so much stress on the defense. It really does when you have a guy that can catch and run. Look at the great tight ends in the NFL. Wow, it, they just cause so much havoc in these secondaries. So, you know, you hate to face them. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I think USC should utilize their tight ends a lot more, Fast Eddie.
1: All right. Thanks for that question, Fast Eddie. And, uh, Coach, before we let you go, I'll just mention real quick, uh, USC got a commitment from Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick, uh, a big tight end. And we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez in the next segment. We'll talk about him. We both were down at the B2G camp up at UCLA uh, uh, late over the weekend and got to uh, to see him a little bit and stuff. So we'll – there's more tight ends in the wings there. It was kind of a surprise commitment there, a surprise offer and commitment. But it does look like USC is going to have some, you know, I do like the, the group of tight ends they have. I do want and I agree with you, I want to see them utilize them more because it, it really can be a powerful part of the offense.
2: I'm going to tell you, that, tell you when you have a tight end, and you, a great tight end, or several great tight ends, you really cause a problem. You can even put them in the slot. When you have a six-five guy in the slot and a 5'11 guy trying to cover him, that's pretty tough. Tough to do. You can really outsize guys, and if they're both great athletes, you know, and a kid that can run causes a lot of problems to a secondary. It really does. But uh, we can talk more next week. Keep your uh, questions coming in. Again, I want to thank all of you that listen, and I also thank you that send in questions because I enjoy answering them for you. And believe me, this is just my opinion. That's all it is.
1: It is, coach. And we thank you. And uh, I've. I've... I forgot to uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California tickets. I apologize to them. SCtickets.com, Tickets uh, dot 1-800-888-7287 is their number. If you need tickets for anything, a lot of baseball stuff going on now. If you want to get out there, the actual uh, freeway series is going on. That's kind of fun. If you need tickets for anything like that, or uh, theater concerts, go to sctickets.com. They've been with us for all 175 episodes. And we appreciate that. Thanks for sponsoring the coach Harvey Hyde segment here on the peristyle podcast. And, Thank you again, Coach, for coming out.
2: Well, thank you, Ryan. And uh, 4th of July weekend is coming up, so uh, everyone travel safely, be careful, and uh, fight on.
1: All right. Thanks, Coach. And everyone else, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking to Gerard Martinez. Stay tuned.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. now return to the peristyle podcast and your host ryan abraham
1: welcome back to the peristyle podcast we have uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst gerard martinez in here this week and we're actually in las vegas together in our hotel hotel room in the mgm las vegas for the rivals.com publishers conference so we're Sorry, a little late with the podcast today, but that's why we're doing it. And Gerard's
3: in the room here. How's it going, Gerard? It's going good. Not going as good as it's gone for you. Uh, you're on a little bit of a hot streak uh, gambling-wise. <laughs> we won't get into specifics, but uh, Ryan uh, and I came in very late last night, and uh, it was all smiles. It was all smiles, yeah. The craps table was uh, pretty good. Had a,
1: a good round of golf this morning, so it was all that
3: was all fun. Uh, we well,
1: got a bunch of recruiting questions, so let's jump uh, right in. We have a couple questions about... Um, Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick, the, uh, tight end commit that USC got after the rising stars camp. JJB says great work on the podcast. The new kid Cope, Cope Fitzpatrick, where do you think he's going to end up playing tight end or on the offensive line, or maybe even on the defensive line? And, uh, we also had another one, uh, who was that? Pat, he wanted to know if he could play something besides tight end as well. So a lot of people are trying to move him someplace else, but, but tight end. What do you, what do you think about uh, Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick?
3: It's understandable that people are a little skeptical about him as a tight end. Um, maybe that's my own doing. Uh, we watched him at the Palo Alto Nike camp and really was pretty stiff in drills and had a really hard time catching the ball. Um, he compares physically to Xavier Grimble in terms of being a big, physical, strong, uh, really impressive-looking uh, recruit. But when you're talking about just the nuances of playing tight end, especially within, you know, the offenses that we see nowadays with uh, tight ends kind of being smaller and uh, a little more lighter on their feet, uh, being able to stretch teams vertically, uh, you're looking for guys that are more in that, you know, 220, 225 pound range coming out of high school and then bulking up to 235, 240 pounds uh, and beyond there. Um, He's, you know, a big kid, 250 pounds already. And, um, You know, again, not necessarily uh, the most agile. Um, His hands have fought him a little bit. We watched him a little bit at the B2G camp this past week, saw some similar issues with him, um, but he did come back. Uh, which was nice to see from the first day of struggles. And he came back second day, worked one-on-one with Billy Miller, who was one of the uh, coaches at the B2G camp, and really had a pretty good day. And we got some good video of him. So we actually got, and this is really one of those important things that you have to always think about with a camp. You know, kids can have bad days. Sometimes you watch them play and it's just one day out of many days of them training. And we got to see a bad day where he really struggled and fought the ball a lot and didn't necessarily look like a tight end prospect. And then we saw another day where he did look like a good tight end prospect and a guy that in a two tight end set, you know, USC on a pro style offense, they want a guy that's going to be able to be kind of that forced tight end that can be a run side guy that can really clear the way for the running game. So uh, I think you saw a little bit both of that, and you guys are going to be able to see that uh, exclusively on uscfootball.com. In the near future, we're going to put up some of that video, and you can decipher for yourself whether he's a tight end or not. Uh, as far as what other positions he may be able to play, um, defensive line, I, I guess, is a possibility. Uh, you know, Offensive line is, has some potential as well. He would probably be a good offensive tackle if you put on some weight. He's definitely got a great frame, got very, very long arms, um, and you're you know, talking totally different type of player when you're looking at him as an offensive tackle. We haven't seen him pass block. Uh, you know, That's obviously a big thing in terms of you know whether a, a guy can be an offensive tackle or not. You have to look at him in terms of pass protection, and these drills, because he's played tight end everywhere he's gone, we haven't been able to evaluate that. Um, at USC they had him play tight end at the rising stars camp, both days exclusively. They're recruiting him as a tight end. He's coming in as a tight end. So, you know, like Xavier Grimble, a guy that we've talked about a lot, maybe put him on some weight, playing offensive tackle. Uh, at this point, USC, uh, doesn't see that or is going to wait before they make that move and they're going to make him a tight end they're going to have him come in as a tight end first so uh great kid very smart um i think in terms of intangibles it's a fantastic get for the university not just the football program and sometimes those are kind of those intangibles that you overlook as a prospect
1: yeah when i uh, was filming him on the second day of the BTG camp coach harvey hyatt actually called me The guy we had him on the first segment he was like oh what does that uh, fitzpatrick kid look like and uh I saw him drop a ball. While I was on the phone, he dropped the ball and then fell down on the next route. And I hadn't seen him in person yet, and I'd heard what you had said. I was like, wow, he looks like he's really struggling. But after that, he went on a tear. He made a diving catch uh, in the end zone. Uh, some really nice plays. that He he started catching balls, and he wasn't dropping them there. So I think, uh, yeah, we'll have the, the film there up uh, pretty soon here on USCfootball.com so everyone can check it out. Um, JJB also had a question on Eric Armstead. wants to know how solid of a
3: recruit is he and do you think he's really going to end up at USC? And where do you think he'll play? Right now, I think he's going to end up at USC. I think he's a pretty solid recruit. Um, he's going to take his visits. He's going to look around. Um, but I think that uh, there's a lot of connection, a lot of comfort with USC. His older brother, Mondo Armstead, plays at USC. And I think that uh, he genuinely likes the coaching staff. I think his family's very com- comfortable with the coaching staff and what USC brings to the table, not only as a football program, but as a university academically. And he wants to play basketball, and I I think he likes the basketball team too and the program and being able to be a guy that could come in there and really kind of help them and and maybe be an impact player for them. So, uh, yeah, I I think Eric Armstead is is pretty solid as a recruit right now. And uh, like I said, he's going to take visits. And this is, you know, recruiting. It's a crazy drama, and you can never really predict uh, what's coming down the pike. But uh, at this point, I think he's pretty solid. And you think he's going to end up playing on the defensive line or offensive line? You know, I'm going to say he's going to play strong side defensive end just like his brother. You know, there was a lot of talk about his brother playing offensive tackle and being... So much better as an offensive lineman um, in terms of his long-term potential as opposed to playing defensive line. You know, that's all we heard from, you know, about Armand Armstead when he was coming through the recruiting process. We're hearing similar things about Eric. Yeah, you know, he would be a five-star left tackle and, oh, he would be all world. Uh, But you know what? You have to have the desire to play that position. And if you don't have the desire to play a position, it's going to greatly affect your ability to play that position. So if he really wants to play defensive end, and uh, I think he has the skills to play defensive end now you know I'll put it be put on the spot and ask or be asked a question and I've been asked a question several times in the past is he better as an offensive tackle than a defensive end do I think he's a five-star offensive tackle as opposed to being a four-star defensive end I do I think just in terms of film from what I've been able to see and I'm you know restricted to and limited to what I can see on film with him he's only shown up to one camp and played defensive end at that camp and really didn't take a lot of reps So it was hard to take much from that camp but you know when you watch him on film he plays a lot of offensive tackle and he's very very dominant as an offensive tackle he would be up there in the top tier of offensive tackles nationally and regionally and and when you're speaking this year regionally you're talking about some of the top national guys so i would put up put him up there with kyle uh, murphy uh put him up there with zach banner uh put him up there with andres pete and some of those other players that are top ranked but um he wants to come in as a defensive end and uh, i've restricted kind of my commentary on him on the boards and when you're talking about analysis to defensive end because that's the position he wants to play
2: all right
1: uh we got a couple questions on Three players, a trio of players. Uh, first up is uh, Jellil Pinner, uh, Kelvin York, and Ryan McDaniel. He says McDaniel looks a lot faster than the other two, and he really flattens players trying to
3: tackle him. Plus, he looks all right at linebacker. How do you think Gerard would compare those three? Uh, they're, they're actually pretty different players. Now, I haven't been able to see anything from Kelvin York in person. And that's obviously a big deal because you do get a different vibe for a player in terms of his physical gifts when you get to see him in person, see his body type. And when you're talking about uh, a bigger... Power running back. I think the bigger the player, the more just kind of seeing him in person is important. And so I, I don't really know a lot about Kelvin York in terms of, you know, his physical build. And I think that's a pretty significant attribute when you're trying to compare these three players. Pinner is a really big body. Um, some comparisons were thrown out there with Lindo White. I don't think he's quite as agile. I don't think he's quite as skilled as Lindo White. Uh, but he does have that big body of a kid that could be 240, 250 pounds. You really wouldn't notice the difference between being, you know, two thirty five, two forty and he being sneaky into the two sixty. He's got a really big frame, a really big kid that kind of hides his you know, hides his his size and, and I think his power really well. He's not a muscular kid. He's not the kind of kid that you're gonna see and go, Wow, you know, this guy is really, you know, really bulked up in the weight room and, and looks really powerful. He's just a big frame kid with a lot of natural size. Um so you know, he's a methodical runner. Uh I think, you know you 're going to see a lot of him really contribute as fullback I think that 's really kind of the position where he he's, he stood out to me we haven 't seen him really play tailback a whole lot. There is some film up of him, of him in his profile, but when I watched him play in person, that being Mission Viejo, the last two you know two years i 've seen him play i think three times in person. He didn't really get the ball very much. I mean, we, I, I could probably count on one hand how many times he was given the ball. He played mostly fullback. So, you know, as him as a running back, there's still kind of a lot to be seen as what type of runner he is and how good he can really be. I think he's got surprising speed. He does get in the open field well, and he does get away from the pursuit pretty well for a guy his size. Um, McDaniel, on the other hand, is more explosive. He's more of a first-step guy. But having watched him at the B2G camp uh, really closely over you know, the past three days, And kind of focusing in on him, and he's another guy, we'll have some exclusive video of him going through drills. Incredibly quick feet. I think the thing that jumps out, and we got some film of him earlier in the May evaluation period, uh, watching him just go through some drills at his practice, you really do see his quick feet and his agility and his balance. But body type-wise, he looks a lot more tapped out, a lot more to where I don't think he's going to put on much more weight. Uh, He doesn't look like he can carry a whole lot more weight. He's about six foot. 225, 230 pounds, and he's he's a little more of a bowling ball when you're comparing him to Pinner. Pinner's got longer arms, a bigger frame. He's just, like I said, uh, it, it, and if there was a comparison to Lindell White, you know, Lindell White, I think, admitted at some point in his career at one of the Rose Bowl games to being 270 pounds in one of those games. Yeah. And people are going, what? And we knew he could put on some weight, but we didn't know he was 270 pounds. That's kind of Pinner in that he could hide that weight really well. He's kind of one of those guys that looks big but you kind of really no, never know how big he is I think with McDaniel it's, it's the opposite you know you would know if he gained more weight I don't think he's really want us to put on a lot more pounds now comparing him as a running back is one thing comparing him as a linebacker is different I think having watched him again at the B2G camp I think he's definitely inside linebacker I think that's where he's going to play, um, that explosiveness, uh, that ability to go north and south, I think really matches up better with his attributes um, in terms of being explosive. And, and just that north and south type running style, uh, filling the gaps, being a guy who's a great, uh, you know, a great run stopper. And he's pretty good in coverage. Again, his feet come in well in coverage. He's got good awareness. Uh, I don't know if I'd put him in the same league uh, as, as Scott Starr. Certainly not Jabari Ruffin. I think Jabari Ruffin is Definitely one of the best linebackers in this class nationally. I I think, you know, just as we start to see more players, you start to see Jabari Ruffin is just in a different league athletically. He is really fast. He's got great size, great agility, uh, very, very skilled player. You know, he plays well with the ball in his hands. Um, I think some of these other players you're talking about uh, are are really guys that are more utility guys that maybe do things better without the ball in their hands. McDaniel is a good running back, and I think – you know, as a running back, if you're going to give the guy the ball 20 times, 25 times a game, you might want to pick him over Pinner. But, again, I think overall, you know, his upside is probably uh, going to be at linebacker, having seen him at B2G just this past week.
1: Yeah, very physical at linebacker. We got to see even though there's no pads. He was pretty physical out there.
3: Um, the other trio of players
1: is uh, Darius Rogers, who he says has a man. He looks like a man among boys. You watch him, Jadon Mickens, and Jordan Payton. What does Gerard think of those three
3: guys? And another question that I've been asked a lot throughout the process, just because you know a lot of USC fans are wary of, of taking three receivers in this class. Uh, we've talked about we that before. Got some stuff in the war room on that. Actually. Yeah, and and we'll we'll kind of leave it there in the war room. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I don't think USC is going to take three receivers in this class. That that's kind of the size of it. Um, in terms of comparing those guys. Uh, You're looking at uh, Jordan Payton, who's a possession receiver, solid, um, got good speed, uh, really a powerful player. I mean, he's a guy 6'2", 200 pounds, and he runs well for his size. uh, But he's definitely a guy that's more of a horizontal passing game type player. I think with Darius Rodgers, he does look like a man amongst boys when you're talking about passing league type stuff. Um, He just seems to jump over kids. and. And really his go-to route is just the fade route, just throw the ball up in the corner of the end zone and let him jump over somebody and catch the ball. I'm wary as to how often he's going to be able to do that in college when he plays against you know more consistent cornerbacks and cornerbacks that have more size. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. A lot of his highlight catches that you've seen have been over lesser opponents. So. You know, he has to be a little more like Jordan Payton in some ways. He's going to have to develop his game in the horizontal passing game, the short routes, and he's doing well. I mean, he does use his body really well. He has fantastic hands. I would say he has the best hands of that three, um, and he and he positions himself well with his hands, uh, but there's going to be, you know, a lot more. He plays like he's 6'4 right now, and kind of, you know, in high school, I think he can get away with it, but he's not 6'4. You know, he's about and a half, maybe 6'2", and... You know, he's going to have to develop a little more underneath game um, to be able to be dominant if he's going to be dominant in, in, in college. So, you know, Jadon Mickens is, is kind of the opposite of those two guys. He's definitely the small slot, explosive, uh, definitely a, a kid that you're going to use in the special teams area. He's going to be a good kick returner. Um, he's, he's a lot more raw uh, as, as, a, as a receiver. He does run pretty good routes for a guy that really hasn't been coached up, uh, but uh you know, he's, he's definitely more of a complementary receiver. I like him because you can kind of put him next to another receiver, and he gives you maybe that opposite effect in your offense. I mean, he's a guy that can that can stretch it. Uh, you get the ball in his hands. He can make some plays uh, after he gets the ball in his hands. And when you're talking about USC, you've got guys like, you know, Victor Blackwell. You've got uh, Devon what You've got, um, you know, George Farmer. You've got a lot of receivers in the receiving core so, you know, if you're going to bring in another guy, why not maybe bring in more of a specialty guy that can kind of add to what those guys that you've got on your roster already do? I think with Rodgers and Payton, I think you're getting a little more redundancy in terms of what they do and with some of the receivers that you already have on the roster.
1: All right. Uh, JD in Washington, D.C. has a question about cornerbacks. He says, while this year seems to be a deep class for cornerbacks, how would you assess the quality? And which of these guys would you consider legit SC-level recruits in a normal, non-sanctioned year. And he gives a a list here. We don't have to comment on everyone, but he talks about Shepard, Beaver, Seymour, Adams, Edwards, Ford, Rios, Harper, and uh, Chaz Anderson. He also mentions Derek Woods and Devontae Neal, if you want to throw some athletes in there. What do you
3: think? Um, It's a good year. I I don't think it's a great year. And we've seen, you know, not last year, which was pretty bad, but the year before and the year before that where – You know, it was a fantastic defensive back class. This class is really void of safeties, um, but there are some good corners. I think at the top is Kevon Seymour. I think he's the best. He's, you know, got the height. He's got the speed. He's got great ball skills. Uh, What I really like about him is he's a player that, at the high school level, is impactful on both sides of the ball, which is really important. I think we've seen with some of the players that USC has recruited in the past, you don't necessarily want to get a guy that's just playing corner in high school. Because that's probably the one position that's the least impactful. So if you've got a guy that's really good, that coach should want to play him everywhere on the field <laughs> that he could possibly play him. And Kevon Seymour is one of those guys. He plays quarterback. He plays receiver. He's playing cornerback. He's part of the kicking team. So I think that's a guy that, you know, definitely really skilled. Uh, makes an impact all over the place, and he's got really good height. And, uh, you know, we've heard that he's run a ten six five uh this past spring. Haven't been able to verify that. But if he's running that fast and he's 6 foot, 175 pounds, uh, that's, you know, the, definitely the number one prospect at the corner position uh, in California. Um, you know, Ishmael Adams from Oaks Christian, smaller, more powerful. You know, in a, in a weird kind of comparison, I'll throw this at at you guys if you can kind of, you know, kind of – it's a little bit of a reach, but think about it. Um, you know, Kevon Seymour is kind of to Jalil Pinner as to Ishmael Adams is to Ryan McDaniel. Um, you know, Adams is the smaller, more explosive, compact player, but he's a little more tapped out physically. You kind of look at him and go, well, "Where is he going to go from here?" You know, he's about 5'8", 185 pounds. You don't really see him gaining much more weight. Um, can he get that much faster? Uh, that's pretty much the question about. You know, Ishmael Adams right now, and maybe those would be some questions that you would throw even Matt Ryan McDaniels away, you know, as a, as a running back. Uh, with Adams as a corner, um, he, he, right now, he's, he's probably the most productive of the group. He's definitely a great player, makes great plays on the ball. He's very smart, he's savvy, he's been coached well, he has great feet, uh, but you're kind of looking at a guy that might be a finished product. Uh, some of the other players that uh, are on the list. Um, You know, one guy I like is Rios. Uh, I think Marcus Rios is really a player that uh, a lot of people slept on and is going to be a guy that I think as the season progresses is going to kind of blow up a little bit. Uh, Committed to Boise State earlier in the process, but we saw him at the Palo Alto Nike camp, and he's another guy, 6 foot, you know, 165 pounds, uh, maybe 170, long arms. um, Not necessarily... Uh, a speed burner but he's got enough length that he kind of makes up for it and he's got great hips and he's very fluid and he's very flexible and so we were really impressed with him chaz anderson is another guy that you know kind of off the radar is st john bosco that has some pretty good height you know in that 510 511 range and uh very skilled again You know, not real fast, and I think that would be the issue with some coaches, and and with USC specifically, they looked like they were looking for some guys that had some real tangible time, some guys that were really track guys, that there were no question marks as to how fast they really were. Uh, T. Shepard, you know, committed to Notre Dame early on, he's got height as well, I think physically, you look at him and you compare him a lot with Seymour. Um, I don't know if he has that speed. I think that's the real issue. Again, um, is he legitimately a sub-11 guy in track? I don't think so. And so that would be the question with him. But, you know, he's got great ball skills. We saw him play really a majority of the time receiver at the Palo Alto camp, and he had some of the best hands that we saw of all the receivers. So that's a guy that you're talking about. He's got a lot of skill, a lot of awareness. Um, like to see more tape of him at other positions at the high school level than just cornerback. You know, can he make an impact in other, pla- in other places? Uh, Brandon Beaver is, um, you know, maybe the tallest of the group. Uh, he's probably a legitimate 6'1". Uh, very thin frame kid though. And he's got, you know, above, above average speed. We haven't really been able to evaluate him a lot. I think, um, honestly, at the camps, because he's been playing with a, a broken wrist that just, out of this injury, just doesn't seem to go away from him. From him. He's, he came back from it earlier in the spring and then ended up hurting it again uh in basketball, so he ended up back with the cast again and we saw him at b two g He was okay, didn't do anything spectacular, Uh, but again, he was playing with a a brace on his wrist uh, at this point, so he's still kind of recovering from that, so I don't know if we have a legit evaluation of him. He's good on film, but maybe just not as explosive as some of the players uh, that we mentioned, especially at the top with guys like Seymour and Adams, so it's a good year, it's not a great year. Um, and USC really doesn't need it to be a great year, especially with the sanctions. They're looking for one guy. Maybe, maybe they could push it to two. It just depends on what happens with early enrollees.
1: All right, and uh, last couple questions we got from Perry. First, he wanted an update or any news on Kyle Murphy.
3: He's read it was between USC and Stanford. Is that still the case? That's still the case. Not really any news to report on him. Uh, looks like he's going to go through the process at this point. Uh, he, I don't believe, went to the Rising Stars camp. Um, haven't really heard from him on any specific camps that he's going to go to. Uh, he's kind of laid pretty low. And sounds like he's just kind of going through the process and taking things methodically. But a uh, uh, heck of a player. And USC's definitely uh, working hard to try to, you know, stay among his top schools. Uh, at this point, get the vibe that Stanford is his leader. But a lot can change. You know, Stanford's one of those schools that you see some turnover in their committed recruits, A, because of admissions and academics. But I think this year, B, because they have a new coaching staff and nobody really knows what to expect from them. So if they have a down year, a lot can change. All right, and then one last thing from Perry uh,
1: about participants in the Rising Stars camp last week. Is there a couple guys out there that you think really, we couldn't be out there, obviously, for the uh, where's media restrictions because of the sanctions? media was not allowed to attend the Rising Stars camp like we have in the past, but any uh, word through the grapevine about a player or two that really stood out?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, SC fans would be really happy to hear that uh, Nelson Aguilar, who's a six two hundred ninety pounds uh, athlete, he's a 5-star from Tampa, Florida. Can play receiver, can play running back, can play safety. He did attend the Rising Stars camp. He attended the Rising Stars camp last year, so just the impact of him coming out to the West Coast and being interested in USC. His coaches have great relationship with Monty Kiffin and Lane Kiffin, obviously that Tampa Bay connection. Uh, he played uh, exclusively on offense during the Rising Stars camp this past week and uh, was mainly a receiver, played some running back as well. Uh, looks like USC's you know, recruiting him as an athlete, but maybe putting a little more emphasis uh, on the offensive side of the ball for him. Um, uh, another very very cerebral player. Uh, You can watch his tape and you can see a guy that uh, makes an impact all over the field and is is just a tremendous player and has had a lot of interest in USC uh, since very early in the process. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Another player that made it in from Tampa Bay, uh, that Tampa region, is uh, Tariq McCord, who's a 6'3", 225-pound defensive end, um, again from uh, Jefferson, Tampa High School, and uh, a guy who's an elite pass rusher, a little undersized, now, when you're talking about, you know, defensive ends nationally, especially with USC, the past few years have recruited some pretty big defensive ends. He's a little smaller, a little more of a linebacker build, but definitely a, a very good speed rusher. And that's something that USC didn't get last year. Uh, USC got, you know, six Five, six defensive lineman, and you're not really looking at any of those guys to really be a, a, a prototypical speed rusher. You know, Greg Townsend's probably the fastest of the group, and he's, you know, 265 pounds, 270 pounds at 6'3". So a lot more strong side type defensive ends. You know, this is a guy that comes off the weak side and is really going to be able to, to speed rush and really force the left tackle there um, to be able to, to, he's just, you know, you're going to have to have a really good, left tackle with long arms to be able to get a hand on this guy to slow him down so he made it out has some interest in USC we expect both those players to come back for official visits during the fall and I think uh, you know USC fans pretty excited about that that they're still being able to pull in that kind of interest uh, all the way from Florida uh, for kids that are you know being recruited heavily by Florida schools and throughout the southeast Uh, we talked about Kevon Seymour as a corner he showed up uh, from what we hear did very very well a lot of people are kind of expecting him to make a decision sometime soon. USC seemed to be his leader, but he's still kind of going through the process. We put a, an update on him on Monday. So today, you know, early in the morning, if you guys got to get up early and check it out, uh, there's a little update on his recruitment there. And, um, you know, it, it was a good camp overall that had a lot of really good players. Uh, there was a couple no-shows uh, along the offensive line. Um, I think it was reported elsewhere that Joshua Garnett, Uh, from uh, Pollock, Washington, and uh, Zach Banner from Lakewood, Washington, uh, both performed at the Rising Stars camp, but they did not. uh, Neither was able to make it down. Uh, Zach Banner was at the B2G camp. We had an update on him, and we'll have more video on him. So we did get to evaluate him, but they were not at the Rising Stars camp. Uh, So uh, um, Ellis McCarthy was another guy that wasn't able to make it. And uh, basically right now is not really doing any camps. Um, But it was definitely more about the guys who showed up and and played well. And, you know, as we reported, you know, Coach Fitzpatrick got the scholarship offer. And he's pretty much the only guy at this point that really they made a move on and, and, and made a big impact for the last two years uh usc's kind of been very reluctant to give a bunch of offers uh you know right after immediately at the rising stars camp or any camps and i think with you know the scholarship limitations they have to be a little more uh, methodical and you know just kind of see where they are numbers wise before they just start giving out a bunch of offers
1: all right well gerard
3: thanks for uh, joining us today thanks for everyone out there being
1: patient on a monday we are a little late today with the podcast but like i said we're out in Las Vegas for the Rivals.com Publishers Conference. And I had a golf, I had a tee time this morning and it was too nice to pass up. So sorry we did the podcast a little bit late. Thanks again, Gerard, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone else, tune in next week. We'll be back with another edition of the Peristyle Podcast.